no, I'm just a normal person, just like you. And if we were to get together, like you, yeah, I'd probably fart in your presence and like <laughs> yeah. be weird and like definitely snort if I laugh too hard. And like, that's who I am. And so let's just like get that out the table and just be fun and real with each other. Welcome to the Finding Your Shine podcast, hosted by best friends, Nina Boyce and Liz Garster. Enjoy a dose of Monday motivation each week as we interview people lighting up the communities of health and wellness, spirituality, and personal growth. Wherever you are on your journey to health, happiness, and self-love, our real and authentic conversations with guests will keep you inspired and empowered. And keep you laughing too. Thanks for listening. We're honored to join you in finding your shine. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of our podcast. Today, we are so excited to talk with Amanda Catherine Loy, or just Amanda. We'll just call her Amanda. We don't have to I be like so that you were like, here. we are talking to Miss mm-hmm. Amanda Catherine Lloyd the third. <laughs> She's not the third, I don't think, but I just like threw that in there because it felt right. <laughs> she can be. She can be. <laughs> Add that to your title, Amanda, just be the third. Um, but we had a wonderful chat with her over on her podcast and are so excited to have her on ours today. What didn't we talk about? And it all really comes full circle. We started the conversation really talking about body image for a long time and how we've been affected by that in our days of dieting and over-exercising. And we led into some other pretty serious topics. Yeah, like um, a big one was we talked about her experience having her double mastectomy because she tested positive for the BRCA genes. We talked a little bit more about that and really how it was imperative that she did the mindset and the Mm -hmm. body image work that she had done before that so that she could really come at that big transition from a healthy place and still bring self-love through all of it, um, through the work that she had done on her mindset. And I think the thing I really loved about this conversation was how vulnerable she got. And I think all three of us got just talking about these experiences, but also through like a comedic lens, because even though... She's so energetic Yeah. So even though she went through this double mastectomy and was dealing with being, you know, positively diagnosed with the BRCA gene, she has like this lightheartedness almost that I think is the way she's really going to show up and spread this message to her community. Um, And it's such a refreshing and needed perspective on things. Yeah. So we will get into this interview with her in just a minute. Um, A reminder that if you like what you hear and you're like, I think I'd love to meet her in person. You totally can. See her, you can, because she'll be at our event on September 21st in Columbus. She will be. If you're like, I got to connect with Amanda Catherine Lloyd III and... (laughs) She's going to be like, that's not my name. Can you make sure people know where to find me on Instagram? (laughs) No three. No three. But she'll be there. She'll be attending the conference. We are so excited to have her there. And if you're like, I've heard about this conference like a hundred times now. Where do I buy my ticket? Just head on over to our Instagram and the link's in our bio. So tickets are only $97. It's a full day conference. You'll hear from speakers, swag bags, exhibition hall, lunch, all of the most wonderful things. Yes. And you obviously get to meet cool people. So bonus. All right. Well, let's get chatting everything, body image, packaging, and more with Amanda Catherine Moy. Well, hey, Amanda, thank you for joining us today and for coming on the show. This is our second time chatting with you since we were on your podcast, and we're really excited to connect again. Yeah, I'm so pumped to be here. We had so much fun last time, so I feel like we're just going to have an even better time again since I I know know. you guys It feels like we're old friends. When we had our conversation on your podcast, it was so easy. I felt like it just flowed, and we Mm -hmm. just were laughing. I think we talked a ton about Reiki, (laughs) just like all of these like random fun conversations. (laughs) Um, And I was like, dude, I love this girl. We should just be sitting around at a coffee shop just having normal chats. So that's why I was super stoked that we also got you on our podcast so that we could share your yeah. humor and your easygoing personality and all the lovely things you're doing here in the wellness space with our listeners. Yeah. Well, I think that's like what makes the best podcast when you feel like you're having coffee with whoever you're For listening sure. to, you know? Like I'm like, that's way more approachable, especially when you're talking to experts and like people who are, you know, they, they seem so like unreachable yes. on Instagram and the world that we live in. And I'm like, no, I'm just a normal person, just like you. And if we were to get together, like you, yeah, I'd probably fart in your presence and like be weird and like 
definitely snort if I laugh too hard and like that's who I am. And so let's just like get that out the table and just be fun and real with each other from the get-go, It really right? is interesting that Instagram puts this weird like filter, filter yeah. on people. I've actually had people say to me like, oh, I was considering reaching out, but like I didn't like know what to say or didn't want to. I was like, oh my God. I like I'm just... I'm nothing special mm-hmm. just because I have an Instagram account and a podcast. And I feel like me and Liz have met people in person like, oh my gosh, I listened to the podcast. And it's like, it, it honestly, you're just, we're just your average girls talking on a podcast, yeah. having Instagrams. I know. It's it's weird though that it's become this, this space, like the internet has become this space where we look up to people. And I mean, I've experienced that for so many years as like an actor. It's like, I, you know, you know, there's celebrities you looked at, you look at from when you're a kid, you're like, oh, they're on this pedestal and they're just people just doing their best and just doing their job. And that's exactly what we are too. And I don't know. I always find that so funny, especially when we, when you post stuff that's like, quote unquote, real, you know, the whole like hashtag real Instagram or whatever, <laughs> instead of like creating curated content. And like, I, my post literally today, that I posted about like one of the comments was like, thank you for showing that even people who are experts still have off times. And it's like, la duh, of course we do. We're human beings. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> it would be crazy if I was just per- this perfect robot. But I think that, yeah, we we don't like to show that side because it's scary and vulnerable I, and all that stuff. I think it's interesting how like, I feel like in the world we're in, there's a lot of people, like we have this idea of like, oh, I can't reach out. Like, oh, they're, they're too busy or they're doing this. But it's funny that you mentioned celebrities because I almost have the opposite thing with celebrities where I, they post so much behind the scenes stuff that I like in my head start mm-hmm. thinking like, oh, I'm actually like best friends with this famous person. <laughs> yeah. Like I, Dina, I, you know, I talk about Pete Buttigieg in our group Who? chat. He's the mayor candidate oh, that's from South Bend. Yes. You did just talk about him. The Democratic. Yeah. yeah. So but anyway, I'm obsessed <laughs> with his husband, like obsessed with his husband and I follow his, like, what did I say the other day? I was looking and I was like, oh, Chaston's uh, in Iowa today. Like, I literally said to my husband, like, Chaston's doing this. Like, he's my friend. Right. Like, I know him. Yeah. Well, with Instagram stories too now, like you've, I mean, depending on what people post on there, you sometimes feel like you're a part of their life, which is, yeah, it's a weird we world have a we live few in. choice yeah. people that we follow that we honestly like I look forward to new videos of them and their children and it's sort of creepy Cody's like are you watching another one of their videos and I was like yes I need to keep up on what's happening in their life like how the kids are doing I really enjoy watching mm-hmm. like Robin Euclid post pictures of her daughter eating like yogurt bowls all the time and I thoroughly enjoy it I'm like why do I like this why am I watching this child eat yogurt bowls I'm but I'm invested, you know, I'm invested in the behind the scenes. Yeah, it's why it's why we like reality you TV, are right? So TV. right. Yeah, same you thing. So how thing. did you, tell me, so obviously we both have a podcast. How did you yes. get started with yours? <laughs> what led you to choose that platform yeah. and get your story up? Yeah, well, so I had a blog for a really long time and it's still on my website, but I just, I felt, I, it never felt like it was the right medium for me. And I'd considered a podcast for a while, but it just felt really scary. I don't, I don't know if you guys felt this way too before starting a podcast, but I was like, that's scary. Like, I don't know. Something about writing, it felt a little less for sure. personal. When you're speaking into somebody's ears, I mean, that's you. I think behind when you're writing, you can yeah. curate a little bit better uh, and think mm-hmm. about it and like, how am I going to phrase this, phrase this out there? But when you're talking... I mean, it's very natural. Yeah. That is you coming through. And it's harder, I think, also, as a solo I, podcaster. That's what I said yeah. or was thinking. I was like, we had the benefit of like each other. Yeah. Bouncing. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, it's definitely an, a different medium. And I think... I think early on, I I am a recovering perfectionist and just like really, really struggled with constantly feeling like I needed to look a certain way in order to be accepted and loved. And so writing and curating it was really simple and easy for me. And obviously, as you can tell from my talking about farts from the moment we started this podcast, like I've kind of released that that stuff. But podcasting to me, um, especially because I don't do it scripted, it's all just whatever the fuck comes out of my brain and my mouth at the time um, and my heart it's vulnerable. And I wanted a space. Um, I was having all these conversations offline, like in DMs and you know, with my girlfriends about stuff that so many women my age were navigating. And 
Like nobody was talking about it candidly online anywhere. And I'm like, why the fuck don't we talk about this shit? And yeah, like the wellness piece of it is a part of it because obviously like I'm I'm a mindset and wellness coach and a big part of what I do, I talk about that. But honestly, I feel like the topics on my podcast are less about wellness and more about like relationships and sex and just being open about talking about the shit that nobody wants to talk about online and the really taboo stuff. And what it's like to go through the mess and feel less alone as a woman in your 20s and 30s because like we don't have our shit together right. and that's fine. Like we shouldn't feel like we, we need to. And so I think it was just this the combination of me finally stepping into my unapologetic weirdness and like owning that. And also at the same time seeing this need for a space for women to show up and and feel feel heard and seen. And so that's kind of how it birthed, mm. I guess. So yeah. <laughs> what did that look like stepping into your weirdness? Like, how did you go through that yeah. process? Because I'm kind of a weird person. <laughs> Nina has told me mm-hmm. to my face that I'm a weird... She's like, I liked you because you were you weird. You are so <laughs> weird. Yeah. But in like such a beautiful way. I tell people all the time, I don't think anyone makes me laugh as hard as Liz. Like the things that she does, I just laugh. I feel like I need to share... The picture I took of you today, Zoom froze on her face and she was making like the weirdest (laughs) face ever. And it's just like, of course Liz would make that face, you know? Like, but I gravitate towards weird people and I love weird people. Oh, me fucking too. Like if you're not a goofy person, we can't be best friends. Like, like it just, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. Yeah, I don't know. I I think starting my business uh, opened up a world of self-development and like breaking through walls and breaking down barriers that I didn't know I needed. And uh, I think anyone who goes and starts a business will tell you like, it's a very... It honestly, I think is more about yourself it's than very anything exposing. else. Um, so it's like, I'm putting all my yeah. shit out there for you to read, see, mm-hmm. hear, like my personal beliefs. Here you go. Um, and do yeah. with it what you will. Like people, you know what I mean? The, praise yeah. it or critique it, but it's all out there for everybody to see. Totally. And and I think also you have to do a lot of work on yourself as, as a business owner because you're bumping up against a lot of things that you would never have bumped up against otherwise. And it's like, oh, fuck. Like, I need to do some work on this. And I had never touched a self-development, personal development book in my life. Like, Eat, Pray, Love was as... <laughs> is that as not like the gateway you know, for, for quite a few people? I feel like it <laughs> is the gateway. Maybe it is. But like, that was the only thing I had done. Like, right, chicken soup right. for the soul. Like, that was, that was the <laughs> Taking it back I, to like 2000. <laughs> middle school, yeah. Literally, yeah. like, middle school life, Amanda was like, what are the teenage chicken soup for the soul telling me to do? But yeah, like, I just... I didn't know anything about that world. And had really honestly kind of poo-pooed it and was really negative um, about that experience. So I don't know. Starting my business, I think, was the launching pad for me to start uncovering a lot of that and realizing that I had been showing up in the world as like a version of myself that wasn't actually me. Um, like there were parts of me that were there, but I was hiding a lot of pieces of myself because without even realizing it because I felt like I needed to show up a certain way. And it was this expectation that I filled. And so I had like put on me in a way without even knowing that that's what I was doing. Um, And so I had to like remove those pieces, (laughs) you know, and then build back from there. So that's... That's kind of how it started. And it took... I mean, it certainly did not happen overnight. Like I, I feel like I have been... And I, I would say I've, I've felt unapologetically me. And obviously there's work to do every day. But I have felt unapologetically myself probably for the last year That's and a half. such a beautiful thing. Um, it's been really wild. And I'm just so grateful. And what's been really cool is that you know a lot of my really dear friends who were around before like are still present. And honestly, I think in large ways, it's because I was able to be my full self with them. But I, I wasn't really able to do that publicly or you know in a setting like school or whatever and now like that yeah. is me that is me like fully and 110% and like what you see is what you get if we met in person like 
you would know that it's me. Like you wouldn't be like, who the fuck mm-hmm. is this girl? You know? <laughs> and so that's, that's my great, like that's the best compliment that anyone can ever give me is when they're like, I've listened to your podcast for years and you're oh, exactly yeah. like you are in front of me right now. What you know? steps did you start to take? So I know you're like, I kind of started getting into the self-development world. And do you really think it was the business? I mean, I know when you are working for somebody else, I think that sometimes you can hide under like, oh, well, that's their fault or that that's this person's fault or this situation's fault. Mm-hmm. But when it's like you're running your own business, it it's you, right? Like it falls on you. So what was it? Was it the self-development? Yeah. Was it the business? What little things got you to really this point of being unapologetically you? Yeah, I think it was different for me because before I started my business, I wasn't really like working mm-hmm. for the man. Like I never had a nine to five I had seven part-time jobs that were crazy. But you know, you know, my my initial like career trajectory and what I still do now um in addition to my business is that I'm an actor and that is me, you know, like if anything I'm showing up as me like I, all my auditioning is on me, you know, like I am my own manager in a way. And so like I had already had done that, but I think the difference was I I finally like had to put instead of just acting as a character and stepping into the shoes of someone else like when you're a business owner especially when you are coaching you're not hiding behind a product you're 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 you you're you're fully yourself and like when i wasn't being that i felt disingenuous and and i had never experienced that feeling and i also realized that i had a shit ton of holdups around like income around like a scarcity mindset um, around owning my worth as a person and that like people like i was worthy of receiving money so from hard. people honestly um, i found i just had a conversation yeah. with one of my friends who's also a coach and we were talking a little bit about that piece of things and i know liz like was in the financial mindset world for a while and i feel like it's hard to know your worth and knowing your worth like mm-hmm. tied to money, but it's also like knowing your worth as a person and digging deep into mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And I think start, I think opening your own business and especially when you are the face of your business, it like blasts that up to like 3000, you know? And so I, th- I, I truly do think that that was the catalyst for me. And then from there, it was realizing where I needed to do the work in order to heal a lot of things that I didn't know needed healing. And also in the same vein, you know, I started my business when I was still knee deep in my binge eating disorder. And so I think the process of healing from that and realizing that it didn't have anything to do with food and everything to do with my mindset completely like, like just completely threw it me for a loop. I did not expect that to be the answer. And I didn't expect to have the shifts I had along that journey. And so I think just healing from that was also a really big part of that too. That's why. So I obviously, we talked about my transition to being an intuitive eating coach when we were on your podcast. And that's that's like probably my biggest motivator in getting in that work is I feel like so many women, their roadblocks start with the physical. And then once that's kind of pushed through and it almost works in tandem with some of that mental like self-development work. But once that's pushed through, I feel like when you believe that your body isn't holding you back from doing anything that you want to do, like all the doors open and things change really quickly. But I just, I love seeing women push through that because some women never do. Like some women stay with that binge eating forever. It's like we and don't that's know. just their life. They don't even know that mm-hmm. it is something that they can push through. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think you, you would be hard pressed to find any woman who hasn't had a yo-yo experience when it comes to their relationship with food and body. And there's a reason for that, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think there's also a lack of proper education around why that's the case. And so we you know, of course we get into that cycle because nobody's teaching us otherwise or helping us develop positive tools that are going to help us actually like get on the other side and create a sustainable life where our food is not controlling it. Um, and where, you know, we don't get our worth from what we, how we look like or the size of clothing that we wear. I'm working with a woman right now. She's one of my one-on-one clients and she is like... You know, she's 225 pounds. And most people would look at that and say, that is an unhealthy weight, 
right? And her goal coming in was never weight loss. And some of that's happened just naturally because, you know, when you start to shift your mindset, weight falls off. Right. But like her entire experience working together, like she is completely shifted her dynamic around food. She used to go to Taco Bell every single day and she would find fully worth like her worth in eating. And if she had a bad day, quote bad day, right, where she ate Taco Bell or foods that didn't fuel her body, she would feel like it was a complete waste. And she moralized, you know, food as this good or bad thing. And now she's been able to remove that. And now she eats for herself and sometimes eats pizza and loves that. And also owns that like there are days when she's not going to do that. And that feels great too. But it's like the morality piece of it leaving is something that I have like every woman I know talks about cheat meals and you know, this, they just have this perpetual yo, like diet culture embrained or imprisoned in their brain. And it's just like, why the fuck have we allowed the world to like create this for ourselves? Right. And it's just, it's so, so, so hard to undo that because it's subconsciously ingrained. I think in what our makes brain. it really, really hard is that it's so, it, like in the medical world too, it's like weight is tied mm-hmm. to health, weight is tied to health calories and weight loss and da, 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 da. And so what I find challenging is when people like us are starting to push that, right? And start to fight back against that. Then you have even our generation and the older generation being like, that isn't true because this is what the doctors say and you're going against this science. And then, so it's like, and you also grow up seeing everywhere. It's like calorie counting and good food and bad Mm -hmm. food and you aren't mm-hmm. like willpower. And it's so hard because I feel like I understand that we're in this world of people that are breaking through that. And they're like, but look at this new research, but actually look what's working. Look what's like now how women are mm-hmm. transforming their life and their health and their mindset. But if you haven't sort of dipped your toes into this world yet, you have no, you would never, you would find never it. know. You would never find it. Yeah. And and yet in the same vein, even in this world, there are so many coaches who are taught to teach that, just that. And so it can be really confusing. And as somebody who was there, who was searching for an answer for years, it can be so challenging to know who to follow and what's right because we're being thrown all these different trends and programs and stuff at our, you know, and it's like, ultimately that is just another, you know, way to perpetuate the dieting, like yo-yo bullshit. And it can be really frustrating and hard. And until we have the tools that are going to shift our mindset around food and shift our mindset around our bodies and fitness, we're not going to make those changes. They're just not going to happen. So I just, I feel for the women that and, and the world that we live in right now, like, and as somebody who has found the answers, but, but knows how many people I'm like, please let there be, I just want to teach so many women how to do this. And like, I think Liz, what you're doing is amazing because like there needs to be more women like us out there. Like there cannot be enough because there's such a need, but it's also so challenging to then get women to say yes, because there, there's this perpetual like, okay, but no, this is, right, I need a quick exactly. fix, right? I need something that's going to help this shift happen physically and externally. And that's where I'm going to get my worth or I can invest in myself. Like I'm just going to buy these diet pills that are $20 and or flat tummy mm-hmm. tea that this celebrity is telling me that I should drink in order to get a, you know, a flat stomach instead of doing the real work because it's harder. It is. And it's, it's something that the return... Because that's the problem with diet culture, I think, is that people will do those quick fixes and they'll see results at first. And so they're inclined to think like, oh, this is working. And then when the weight comes back, as it naturally will, almost like 95% of the time, then the question shifts to, well, what did I do wrong? Like, this should have worked. This was working. What did I do to mess this up? And it wasn't you. Like, the... The difference is those things don't have long-lasting results and shifting your mindset does. Well, and exactly. And that's my point is like, was it really working? Like it was quote working in the sense that you saw a physical result, but did you feel better? That's the word. Did you like, did you genuinely, could you look at yourself in the mirror and still not pick apart? your body? Could you like fully show up as yourself and feel vibrant and healthy and energized? And all of the things that 
your craving? Or did you just happen to hit a certain weight or number on the scale? Or, you know, I remember when I was like knee deep in my yo-yoing, I finally got to a size two, which I was like, I got here. This is happiness, right? And I was the most miserable I've ever been in my whole life. You know, and it's like, yeah, I also was not happy when I was 40 pounds heavier and, you know, like couldn't fit into anything and was having breakdowns. And, and there's a happy medium somewhere in there where I knew was my happy place, but neither extreme right. was it, you know, um, but we're so, we're so taught that if we get to the certain place, that these quick fixes are going to lend to us, which, yes, you will physically get results. I did, but I still felt like shit. And that's not a way to live. I was going to say, I think too, the other problematic thing with that is when you hit that little, you know, when you hit whatever that milestone is for you in that time period, there's people that will compliment you and say like, oh my God, you look Mm -hmm. great. And they affirm everything that you're doing when really like, I just think that no one should comment on any's body ever because someone could have gained weight and it was absolutely the healthiest thing for them that they needed for their soul, for their health. Like they needed that. And someone could be losing weight and look like they're healthier, but exactly like you said, they're at the point where they're at their mental lowest in terms of happiness. And yet we live in a society where that is the norm. And so how can we as individuals shift that for ourselves, right? And that's where the inner work happens. That's where the mindset work happens so that when we do receive a comment, whether it is negative or positive and attached to our body image, we don't allow that to adjust our self-perception. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of uncovering like all years of stuff that we put on ourselves. There's this phrase that uh, I feel like comes up a lot. It's something to do with like doing unhealthy things to your body is never going to be healthy or like restricting your body is never going to be healthy or something positive. And that always really resonates with me is like, it goes back to, you said like whoever you're following or not knowing what to do. It's like, if you feel like what you're doing is at all restricting you or is making you feel unworthy or is making you feel like you're not good enough, then what you're doing isn't healthy for your body. And how often when we're in diet culture restricting, are we thinking, I'm not good enough, I can't have that, or I'm hungry, but I can't eat. And that doesn't make you feel good. And so whenever you can frame it of like, do I feel good? Then I think that that's sort of like a great gauge to see if who you're also who you're following is who you're following making you feel good or are they making you feel shitty and bad about yourself, you know? To that point, it's funny you bring that up because I, in the last like, probably like six to eight months, I have followed so many like body positive people, like plus size models, like people that just look more representative of me or even much larger women that the other day I saw a Victoria's Secret ad for like the first time in a long time and it looked weird Yeah, to me. yeah, yeah. I was like, the, everyone looks really strange because what I'm seeing and cultivating all the time is people of all different shapes and sizes and ethnicities and like everyone's so diverse. Like that's what my Instagram is. And so now when <laughs> I see something like that, so mainstream media, it's strange. So you can shift it. That's so that's so awesome. Like I I I would be surprised if most people listening to that could say the same. Right? Like especially like I remember when I first started my Instagram it was to like I was starting this program that I thought was going to change my life and it was like when I was like, you know, 40 pounds heavier than I I was at my lowest and I was like getting I was going to like finally get in shape and like feel great and lose the weight and all this stuff and so I started for accountability and like made it private and like only followed people who followed the specific plan. And, you know, I'm sure you can resonate with this because I know so many people who have done this. And yeah, like I lost 30 pounds in six months and like, you know, perpetuated that. But literally my entire feed were these women who were under eating, over exercising. And my husband called these my bird food years because it's literally like I just ate nuts. It was like nuts and vegetables. And like lean chicken. Like it was the worst. I don't know how I did it, but 
I did. And then I would binge at night because my body was it screaming was so at hungry. me. Um, I needed energy. Yeah. When I, Some yeah. carbs, like, we're I was going through my vegan stage like five years ago and oh. nothing is wrong with yeah. being vegan. I will say that. Like if you're vegan and moral reasons or you feel like better eating certain foods that are non-animal products, like do your thing, totally, you know? Totally, But like I was definitely just being vegan because I wanted to lose weight. And this... Oh, and it was yeah, hashtag for trendy sure. too. So yeah. I... And also... Yeah. <laughs> I actually have a friend I remember following who was getting into bodybuilding. And you know what? Like, I was so inspired, right? I was so, so inspired. And she's actually a lovely person and all of that. But I was following, like, all bodybuilders and all Hashtag vegan. And um, yeah. I remember, like, posting a picture. I have never done a before and after picture except, like, four years ago. <gasps> I remember you before and after And I remember being like, still got a long way to go, but like, here's my progress. But at the time, I thought, I I, like, I thought I was doing well for my body, but it didn't last, you know? And now I work out often and I eat food that makes me feel really Mm -hmm. good, but it's like, for such a different purpose, you know? And I, ne- not that I don't have image right. days where I look at myself because I do. I still have body image days where I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, old stuff creeps back in. But it's just, it's crazy. And now when I see somebody that's like Fitspo or I see somebody that's bodybuilding, not that you can't do that as well, but I look at it and I'm like, oh no, I can't follow that. Well, it's triggering for you because it, it's you, you know, connected with a, a negative yeah. time in your life where you weren't fueling yourself. But I think what you said is so huge and it's what's the exactly. purpose behind it, right? Because if you're showing up for yourself every day in order to look differently and find your worth somewhere else, you're not showing up for you, right? You're showing up for an external crazy, I don't know something. But, you know, like I work out every day. I am a huge proponent of like, being fit and mm-hmm. active. And I believe that it's a huge part of how I recovered from my surgery and, you know, saving off cancer. And like, it's a big part of like me being a, an actor is being physical and, and fueling my body with nourishing foods is part of that. And yes, hormonal health is important to me. And I know how big food plays a part in that. Like I love nutrition. It, it literally, Same. I get nerdy oh on it. It makes Same. me so happy. But I do it because I mm-hmm. want to feel good. And I also eat the fucking pizza, you know, like there, you can have both. And um, it's all about why you're showing up ultimately and not about like looking like that person or having a six pack or an arbitrary thing that when you get there is not going to actually make you happy. Yeah. If you get there, because I will say that was one of the biggest turning points for me was accepting that my body was just not made. Like I, for years and years and years, would not accept that I was not like a size zero, like abs mm-hmm. girl hidden under like a size 10 body. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't believe that. And now I'm just like, that was, I think the first thing I did, I was like, you know what? Some people are just made differently than that ideal body type, which is like a very small portion of the population. I'm not that person. Mm-hmm. And that was like yeah. a huge weight that was released from me, just acknowledging like, we're all different and that's okay. That's so interesting. I, I had the same experience, but kind of differently. So like early on in my college years, I put on a lot of weight and I continuously told myself like, oh, I'm meant to be a size 12. Like my body's just here. I'm big boned. Like that's my whole thing. And like, I'm totally... And then like when I did go through the experience of losing weight, like I... I did get to that size two, which was between a size 12 and size two in six months is bonkers. Like bonkers. Like my body was fucked. But like, I was like, oh, I can do this now. And so for a while in my recovery process, I was like, well, I know I got to that point. So why can't I get back there? Of course, as soon as something challenging happened with my life, I gained it all back. And then, you know, the yo-yo dieting cycle commenced and it was really thrilling for so long. But I think, you know, I think we tell ourselves these stories. And what Brene Brown always says, like the story I'm telling myself, right? I don't know if you guys we are. We love her. We love good Brene. Yeah. But like I think that's so true in the wellness world too, because the story we tell ourselves, you know, and I see this with clients who truly do need to make shifts in their health, you know, and the story we tell ourselves is, well, you know, I'm never going to be a healthy person. Um, And we create this subconscious belief system. And so we operate, our actions are aligned with that. And we start eating Taco Bell every day because we don't believe that we're meant to be healthy. When in reality, we can make that shift and feel 
like we can conquer the hike that we want to conquer so deeply with our partner and our dog um, and not have to be huffing and puffing the whole way up. Like we can create that reality for ourselves um, if we believe that it's possible instead of perpetuating the stories. The biggest shift for me, and I I guess we kind of touched on it, but when I realized that health wasn't what my body looked like, it was like the biggest transformation in my entire life. And I don't think I ever really sunk that in until... I mean, obviously everyone knows I coach women on hormonal health. And it wasn't until like, Mm -hmm. again, my anxiety and my periods got so bad that I physically didn't feel well. Mentally, like brain fog, anxiety, acne, all of that sort of stuff like came into the mix that I was like, shit, I don't care how much I weigh. I just want to feel better. Yeah, I just like want to show up. And so then... And be able to like get out of bed. Right? And like go to work and not have like... Anxiety attacks. So it wasn't until then. And when I started eating, it was to feel better. And I realized like my body was not how it was when I was like my vegan fitspo person. I wasn't a fitspo person ever, but like those stages, like four years, like four years ago, but I was eating food and it was like my body was just, it, it was what it was, but I felt so much better. And I was like, oh, this is health, isn't it? These are the markers Mm. we want. But I had a bad, like, even a few weeks ago, um, I was hanging around some girls. We had, like, bachelorette party stuff going on. A lot of the girls were, like, very typical beauty standards that we see. And I had moments of, like, oh, God, I hope they don't think that, like, I'm not eating well enough or that, like, I don't work out enough or, like, because my stomach isn't as flat as all of them. And then, like, so I noticed, Mm -hmm. like, I even start to to go back because— of my surroundings. And it's just, it's always like yeah. keeping check of of where you're at and how you're feeling. Totally. I still get that. It's so interesting too. Um, have you guys heard of the app Facetune or Bodytune? Okay. So I have heard of it and like have played around with it myself just to see what the fuck it does because I'm like celebrities, like this is insane. I had never witnessed like quote normal people, aka like people in day-to-day life actually using it. And a few weekends ago, I was at this conference and it was it was centered all women. There were like 400 women at this weekend. And I witnessed three instances of women using this app to adjust their body shape in order to post something on Instagram. Like, like it just made me so sad, you know? And, and it just made me think of... Your story made me think of that because like again, they were surrounded by women of all shapes and sizes for sure. Um, it wasn't like a, you know, like a wellness thing where like, you know, people tend to mm-hmm. look like Barbie, you know, but it's it still, they still felt that pressure and that the societal pressure to look a certain way in order to be accepted. And I think that's the root of it, right? It's like that we need to look a certain way in order to be accepted. And that's, our biggest fear in life, I think, or one of the two is that we are not going to be accepted. And that's why community is so important, especially to women. It's, you know, a big root of how we find our work. I was just talking to my cousin the other day and we were taking picture and she was like, we got to redo that. We got to redo that. I was like, you look freaking great. And if she's listening to this, I don't think she listens, but she's like this bomb, like lacrosse player at school. Like she's incredible. Like it's been fit her whole life. And that was one of those moments for me where I'm like, our younger generation doesn't know. They don't know. Like, I've been looking at her my whole life, like, inspired. Like, look at you. Like, always being out there, always being fit, always, like, fit as in, like, active with your body, you know? But the ideas we have of, like, what that should look like and how we should look like and, like, the body dysmorphia that so many women have because they don't think that they match up to what? Something that we think the standard that we have that you can't even reach because it's airbrushed or face tuned or whatever. It's like you take the women that already are in the like minority of the population and then you manipulate them even further. So they're like really not attainable. And that's what we like me, Liz living in Akron is supposed to somehow have the body of someone with like a personal chef that's been airbrushed. Like that's not a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I could talk about this shit forever. Me too, but I do want to talk about... So you mentioned... Because <laughs> I really could, like, we could sit here for four hours. Um, <laughs> so which I would do. I want to talk about... You mentioned your surgery. And I want to talk more about that story and your discovering that you had the BRCA gene. So talk to us a little bit about that process and what... I mean, you know, it's a really heavy... It's a heavy switch, but... Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah no, but it's a, it's a really important 
topic and one that I am a huge advocate for because of my own journey, obviously, but also because I just, it's not talked about, especially in women our age. And it's really pervasive (laughs) and it makes me really sad that it is, but it is true. And I think being an advocate for your own health also involves knowing your risks. And this is part of that. So yeah, so the surgery I was talking about was in December, 2018, I had a preventative double mastectomy. So I want to preface this by saying it was preventative. I did not and do not have cancer. But when I was... 20, I just turned 27. It was like two days after my birthday. I found out that I had what's called the BRCA gene. So BRCA. And um, there are two strands of it. You can have one or two. So I have the BRCA1 gene. I found this out because my dad found out... like I think I was in college that he carried this genetic mutation... Um, and he found out because when he was 18, his mom passed away from breast cancer at 44. And um, so when new studies started, I'm from Canada originally, and from when new start, studies started coming out about this, there could be a genetic mutation linked to breast cancer. He, alongside his two sisters, got tested um, to see if they carried the mutation. And his sisters were both negative, but he was positive. And they are 50-50% chance uh, like transmitted to offspring. So I was like, great, my odds are great. But you know, he told me when I was young and knee deep in all of the struggles you just heard me talk about. And I was like, I don't, I can't, I can't think about this. So I didn't find out for years. And this past, like, as I said, I've really felt like I've been stepping into my un- unapologetic self. And part of that for me um, my biggest value that I hold in life is courage. And part of that, um, a big part of that is facing my fears head on, which, you know, is a part of why I'm talking about that later in a big topic that we can also mm-hmm, cover later. Mm-hmm. To. But, you know, I think fear is, is a, it plays a huge role in our lives. And I think so often it holds us back. And I was so determined to not let that be anymore. And so, I went into 2018 being like, all right, so the scariest thing that is on my table is if I have this gene or not. So I'm going to start 2018 by figuring that out. So yeah, so I got a blood test. You can you can also go through a couple of there's you know like the different like 23andMe right, and all yeah. of those like genetic history stuff. Some of those have the BRCA gene on there as well. But if you have proof of family history, which I did because my dad had been tested and was positive, then you can get a blood test and it's covered by insurance at least in the US. And so I did that and um, found out I was positive two days after my birthday. Um, mm. The day before I was leaving for a two-week trip oh to gosh. California and Hawaii. Yeah, it was bonkers time in my life. It was... Yeah, it, it, last year was really fucking crazy and really challenging. And my biggest... The biggest challenge in it all was not deciding if I wanted to have the surgery because I went into my test knowing that if I was positive, that I would for sure do it. Mm-hmm. It, but it was realizing how alone I, I was, like, or at least how alone I felt at the time. The world we live in, we're so, so easily, like we were talking about earlier, like you can access Instagram influencers, anybody. You can find a podcast episode about any topic. And here I was, 27 years old. You couldn't find And anything. there was nobody talking yeah. about this. No. There was nobody talking about this openly. And I was like, okay, I found these Facebook forums and there were these, you know, 50 plus year old women who'd already had babies. And I was like, I don't, I'm so appreciative of everything you're talking about and sharing and that you're posting pictures of your like, you know, post-surgery bodies. But like, I do not relate to you. Like we're in very different parts of our life. And I was like, where are all the 20 year olds? You know, I was like, where are all the women my age? And um, unfortunately, but fortunately, like I've connected with a lot of them since. Um, it is one in eight women will be diagnosed with Which breast is, cancer in their life. I mean, it's such a high number. And when you mm-hmm. were talking about this, I'm even in the world of hormonal health, I had to look up exactly what that meant when you were talking about your surgery. I have a question. Does that little yeah. mean literally mean breast cancer? Like BRCA? Well, no. So BRCA, um, BRCA stands for more than... I don't actually know what the... 
I don't know that it stands for anything other than it's just a generic choice mm. for a word. But um, breast cancer, while it is part of um, your risk, you're also at higher risk for ovarian cancer, mm-hmm. depending on if you have BRCA1 or 2 pancreatic and melanoma, you also have a higher risk than the average mm. population. Yeah. Um, so really the, the two big ones to be super concerned about are breast and ovarian cancer. My risk for breast cancer was that I had a 75 to 87% chance of having breast cancer wow. before I was 80 years old. Oh, they can tell you like wow. that. And Love that it. I had, yeah. And then I had a 55, I have a 55 to 75% chance of getting ovarian cancer um, before I turn 80. Um, so the risk for breast cancer goes up after 25 years old. Um, and so I was finding out two years after that. So I was like, blah. Yeah. Um, but getting a, d- a double mastectomy um, reduces your risk to 3%. So I was like, cool, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, I know there's still obviously a small chance that something could happen down the road. I chose to keep my nipples and that made it a little bit higher. Um, instead of like 1%, I'm at 3%. But, um, you know, ultimately I was like, it's fine. Uh, you know, 3% is much better than, you know, 87% what, risk. What a brave choice to make as a 27-year-old. Like you said, like what are some of the things, if you don't mind, like that came up for you? Because I'm sure for all of the women even listening to this now, they're probably like, your breasts are a part of you, you know? They're a part of your feminine identity or they don't need to be, but they are. And so like, what are the things that came up for you when you made that choice? Yeah, the choice itself was easy. The aftermath was not. Oh, gotcha. So... Like the choice of doing it was like, okay, for me, it was like, do I want to potentially breastfeed down the road? Is that important to me? Which I hadn't even thought about, honestly, before going to see a genetic counselor. I was like, oh, fuck, kids, right. That's part of this. Um, Not on my radar (laughs) right now, Um, but apparently now it needs to be. Um, And But also like, it it became strange for me because I have always kind of hated my boobs. Like I had like weird pointy boobs. They were like further apart than, you know, quote, the perfect ones were. Like I spent years as a teenager, like buying push-up bras and like Victoria's Secret and trying to get them to like have cleavage because I just never did. Um, And so I was like, I just, I don't, you know, I didn't care about them. But all of a sudden I became like really sentimental about it. And that was bizarre for me because I had spent so many years hating my boobs. Um, And also, you know, I had a lot of fear around the surgery itself. I mean, fear around how it would impact my body image. I had done so much work on healing that and healing my body dysmorphia. Yeah, so you had done the work uh, body image-wise before any of this. And that just goes to show you like, I mean, it brings always things get brought back up. Always. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, how am I, how am I going to navigate that on the other side? Am I going to look at myself in the mirror and, and be disgusted? Like, am I going to have like Franken tits? Like, I don't know. Um, like legit, like I was told by multiple people to expect Franken tits. So I was like, what are like Franken tits? Wow. I know. (laughs) That's one of the chapters in my book. (laughs) Is is your book like a chapter is called Franken tits? Yep. (laughs) Brilliantly epic. I love it. But yeah, you know, and it's just like, okay, fuck. Like I, yeah, I, I was scared of that. I was really terrified. Um, I also like didn't know how it was going to impact my sex life. Like some people, their boobs is like not a big piece of that. For me, it really was. Um, I got a lot of pleasure from, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. And I was worried what that would be like afterwards. Um you know, barring, of course, all the body stuff that goes alongside of having sex too. Um, you don't think about you know, it, but also it. like, no, yeah. But also like fear of, you know, going through a major surgery, which I'd never done before. And like, was I going to die on the table? And, you know, like going under anesthesia and all of this stuff that I hadn't for a second ever had to consider, like privileged AF, you know, but it was like, okay. And yes, it was a decision that I was able to make. And I'm so grateful for that because I have met so many women over the last year who are my age and like found a lump and have no family history. And, you know, it's just like, holy fuck, you know, like it is so prevalent. 
Um, and that's why self-examinations are so important. Like, please do, please examine like your boobs. Please, please feel it up on the first because like I literally every story I've heard from women my age who have been diagnosed with breast cancer is they found a lump in the shower. Yeah. I Every single one. One of my really, really close friends, sister has breast cancer. And it was like one of those situations where, I mean, she's our age. It was like, whoa, like you almost, you don't realize how prevalent it is. Like one in eight women and younger women. I was going to say, I think Mm -hmm. we still, we're at the age around 30 where we, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I still feel like I'm invincible. Like I still feel like I'm young and like, oh, that won't happen. So I'm at least like XYZ age, but Things like cancer have no age limits. They have no requirements of, I mean, it will come if it's yep. going to come, no matter yep. how you feel or what your birth certificate says yeah. or anything like that. So if you don't mind me asking, I'm just not super familiar with like the double mastectomy surgery. Like, what, yeah. how does that, what all do yeah. they do in there? <laughs> no, it's a good question. Yeah. So it really depends. There are a few kind of options on how you can go. And it also depends on what you're a candidate for. What I had is called a prophylactic double um, double mastectomy. And it was a bilateral double mastectomy. Um, and it was a direct-to-implant over the muscle. So I will explain what all that means. Um, so both of my breast tissue and everything inside of the pocket was removed. Um, hence the mastectomy part of it. Um, I chose to have reconstruction. Um, so I have two implants in both of my boobs now. Um, not everyone chooses to go that path. And there are different versions of what reconstruction can look like. Um, and then my was direct to implant. So that meant that all in my surgery was one and done. Most women don't have that. Most women have... Um, what's called an exchange surgery. So the first surgery, they'll have the breast surgeon come in and remove all the tissue. And then um, they will have like a usually three to four month period in between that surgery and their exchange surgery um, where they will get like saline like fills into their like muscle pockets to help expand the tissue to provide room for the implant to then get put in on the second one. I didn't go that route um, for a couple of reasons. One, because I'm super young and healthy and fit and they didn't feel that my body needed that. And two, because I wasn't trying to change the size of my breasts. (laughs) If I wanted to make them bigger, I would have had to do that. Um, And I was like, fuck, I don't care. (laughs) Just keep them as is. But like... I just want to be healthy. Um, And so, and then over the muscle, um, you can either choose to have the implant go over the muscle, like over your like pectoral muscle or under it. Um, And because I am so passionate about moving my body and because I'm an actor and I use my body for literally everything I do, I knew that there were risks attached to mobility and ability to like move my arms and um, weight bearing stuff. Um, And I didn't want to risk that. Um, So cosmetically, there can be more like issues, quote unquote, let's be honest, all boobs look different and weird sure. and have like weird divots in them. Like I wasn't trying to have like perfect, perfect bimbo boobs. <laughs> um, like no, they, I don't care. Um, so that was my personal path, but they can look really different depending on what you're a candidate for. Mm-hmm. I originally wanted to go a route that's called the Diep flap. It's D-I-E-P. And what was appealing to me about that was that they take like muscle and fat from your abdomen Mm. and transfer it to your breast pocket so that you actually have your own body. (laughs) Instead of, you know, inserting an external device, (laughs) like like an implant, Um, I didn't have enough on my body in order Mm. to be a candidate for that. But I've met a bunch of women who have gone that route. Um, also interesting because like you don't think about it, but like if you have hair like on your stomach, you're gonna have hair on your tits. Like you know, oh. fun fact. Like yeah, it's you know, but yeah, it's it's another option that you can. I would have never thought go. about that. I Maybe actually, <laughs> I not not related with anything with cancer, but I had a breast reduction in college because of just being like it was very uncomfortable and being short, and so I like had. I like went through some of these weird fears, but again, it's different because it wasn't cancer related, but it still relates to the fear of like, 
what's going to happen to this piece of my body and like, what's it going to look like? And I do have scars and I have like in bathing suits, you can still see some of the scars and my nipples have been all like reconstructed and all of that stuff. Mm. Um, But you kind of don't realize it until you go when you have to go down that route of like changing your body and realizing how, yeah, how many like thoughts go through your head about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've spoken to so many women who have cancer and like have gone through chemo and lost their hair. Yeah. Oh and my gosh. The same thing, right? Like your identity completely shifts. And like all of a sudden you were like, you felt like this beautiful woman and with like, and your hair becomes like a part of your identity. Like I can't imagine my hair bald. Yeah. Like, you know? yeah. I feel like when you describe uh, someone, you might be like blue eyes, brown hair. Like that's right. Like that's a descriptor yeah. of how people see you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think that's an, just another thing that also like, I mean, I haven't had to navigate that, but I, you know, it's, it's interesting that we've put placed our identity and our, again, our worth in our body, right? Mm -hmm. Something that's on us. Mm -hmm. And this is just another reflection of that. Are you going to have to, in the future, like, are you going to have to revisit this? You're going to have to like get stuff done with the implants and like throughout your life Yeah. So every 10 years you need to exchange, Mm. but it's a really simple procedure. So that's nice. Um, I had a really positive experience. Um, My recovery process was really quick and my doctors were kind of like completely blown away mm-hmm. by that, which was kind of cool to be like, ha all the work I've done on myself. <laughs> yeah, you're like, it's like, <laughs> gotten me here, bitches, yeah. you know? So that was, that was fun and cool. I like started rehearsals for a show like three weeks. You were like, I'm ready. Let's go. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, overachiever is real. You know, but it, yeah. So like that piece of it feels behind me and, and yet it's still such a part. It's really it's really bizarre because, you know, you like my entire year led up to this moment. It felt like, and then afterwards I was like, Oh, we're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I also started feeling like imposter syndrome around mm-hmm. women who had cancer. And, you know, it's just like in this really interesting journey of self-discovery in a whole new light, um, that I didn't ever plan on taking. Um, but also like, the advocacy part of it has been so huge. Like I've opened up a membership community for women for this reason to do mindset work because I believe that it's truly how I was able to navigate the anxiety and the overwhelm. I was going to say, I was actually going to ask that. Like, I can't imagine not doing the work. I mean, you do this work, that you're a coach that mm -hmm. does this work. Um, And I can't even imagine like not putting yourself almost through like that training to prepare for something like this. I literally did. Yeah. I did. I put myself through physical and mental training the entire time. Like I had a nine month plan for exercise. And then I also was doing like daily, daily visualization and mindset work and stuff that you know, the average person just doesn't know how to do, Mm -hmm. obviously, nor should, like we're not taught. Like, of course we're not going to. So yeah, I started a community called the, the Booby BFF membership. The Booby BFF. <laughs> um, you know? And so that's been... it's It's been like a really fun space um, to support the women from a mindset standpoint in there. Um, and and also, it's birthed this book that I've been writing. Yeah, I was going to say, can I we really talk about, talk that, about that? I was going to segue right into that because after <laughs> you said Frankenstein tits, I was like, okay, can we dive into more of the chapters of this book? Like, tell us about that and the and the birth of this book. Yeah, it's been so unexpected. Like, I never thought, we were, t- Nina and I were talking about this before we got on the podcast, but like, I've never thought that I was going to be a writer from a book standpoint. Like, I told you guys, I love to speak. That's why I podcast. Like, I think it's the most vulnerable thing. And I wrote so many blog posts and obviously, like, basically write blog posts on my Instagram posts, I feel like sometimes. Um, but it's so different. It's been so different. And I just felt this need to talk about this in a way that was really easily accessible. And I love to read. I think that it is so huge. And so I just started writing one day and here I am having written basically two thirds of my book. And it's, yeah, it's been a whirlwind crazy ride, but I'm really excited to share it. I think you said this before our recording, but didn't you go on vacation with your mom and just like knocked out like three chapters of a book? Well, and like I didn't, I realized I didn't even know what I was writing at first too. Like I was like, I'm just going to write 
because I feel like something is pouring out of me and like 5,000 words later. See, to me, in my world, I'm like, that is literally you channeling like something, you know? That's the same way. I think sometimes when we were talking about podcasting and not being scripted, like you're in the flow, right? You're just channeling and you're talking. And I think that that happens with writers. And I have to be in a very Mm -hmm. specific mood to write, but clearly this was a message you were supposed to share because you just sat down and your fingers were like, let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, and it's funny that we're talking like, I've just come back literally yesterday from a two week. Um, basically, I felt like I was off the grid <laughs> for most yeah. of it. Um, I went to my my lake house in Northern Canada and just sat um, and hung out at the lake with my husband and our dog. Mm. And I wrote, I mean, I wrote 30,000 words wow. and they blew out of my... Because I just... I can't... Something about being in like my day-to-day space, I am not the kind of writer who's going to like have a deadline, you know, Mm -hmm. and like work, you know, like get up at 5 a.m. and like write her book. Like I need to be fully in flow in order for it to come out of me. And I've learned that, which has been really kind of cool, but it really did. And it really has. And... It's it's been surprising. Like I I I don't consider myself a funny person. I've always felt like I'm I'm not funny, but like I I think I'm funny in this book. Like I <laughs> genuinely I'm like reading it back and like kept like my husband kept he's like read a few chapters. He's like this is fucking hilarious. Yeah. And so that's the thing. Like yes, this is a tough topic of conversation. However, we are people, you know, going through the mess of it. And it's like, if we can't make light of like what we're going through, talk about the mess, be intentional about how we can navigate the mess with for ourselves instead of just allow it to take over our lives, you know, then what the fuck are we doing? And so there's a lot of laughter, probably a lot of tears, probably a shit ton of things you can relate to. Even if you've never been through this or not a part of this community, like if you are a woman (laughs) and you've ever felt fear, which... All of us should be raising our hands. 100%. Um, you're going to be able to relate to this book and feel seen and heard and be able to take away action too. Like I'm fully, fully of the belief that like if you're not taking something out of, you know, and being able to actually implement something um, with each chapter that like I'm not doing my job. Um, and so, yeah. When is the a, book coming out? So you have, TVD... You don't have a deadline for yourself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my goal vacations so you can feel inspired and then like Well, you know, I'm going to Europe in August, so maybe my goal is to have it fully written by the end of this month. So um and then through editing process and and getting all of the the cover stuff together and everything. So so ideally it'll be launched in the fall, um, which I think is kind of perfect timing because I'll be coming up to my one year anniversary from my surgery um early December. So yeah, my my goal is October, November. We um, will share it. I was it gonna say, ready. I know we can't wait to read it and share it Ooh, with our audience. Yeah. And we already it's gonna be good. We already love and connect so much with your energy, and I'm sure your energy through words is going to be just as fantastic. So we can't yeah, wait to dig I was, in. I was like, Kev, like, what do you think? Does it sound like me? He goes, Yes, it sounds exactly like you talking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, great. That's all I needed. I think that's the easiest way for me to write personally. I almost like hear myself in my head speaking it mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. write it. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, the, yeah. the best. Otherwise, it feels clinical. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I am writing a research paper. Mm-hmm. Let me use as many like synonymous words that are adjectives and make everything sound beautiful. Blah, mosh, mosh, mosh. <laughs> it's like not interesting. No, thank you. P- I relate so much to books that are just people sharing their own stories. Like I'm a huge, like Tina Fey's book, Amy Poehler's book, Mindy K. I always like read comedians, autobiographies, like Sarah Bareilles. Like I just love when they just write from their voice and share their stories. Simi Bodich, her book was just so funny Mm. and so down to earth. Yeah. And so, I mean, it sounds like that's what your book is as well. And that's what we relate to, right? Like we relate to stories and people sharing from their voice and yeah. It's definitely filled with a shit ton of stories and some of like total random things that are, I have nothing to do with my surgery yeah. too. I think that'll be really fun and things I've never shared on my podcast or like online before. So it'll be good. But also like, also there's a lot of, it's it's going to be in this like self-development, personal development space because it, it is not just storytelling. It is true, like how to show up for fear because I think that, and I talk about this in my book, but I think that the word fearless has become really, really ingrained as like this positive thing to strive for. And I think it's a load of bullshit. Like I think that when we are striving to have 
less fear. We are not striving to be human. Mm-hmm. And when we can acknowledge that fear is our friend and that it's a teacher and a guide, sure. and we can then we can intentionally shift and flip script um, to be able to fully stand in our truth and show up for our lives the way that we want. That's when life becomes beautiful. And that's when we can navigate the mess um, instead of let it just fully take us over and live in bed with Netflix, right. you know, for days on end, which I'm all for Netflix and chill, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, if you're trying to be fearless, you're literally going to be running away from everything. You know, you're not going to yeah. try new experiences. Also, or, fear is healthy. Like 100%. there's some level of that safety that is needed. Like if you are not- Thank you, brain. If you yeah, if you don't have fear and you mm-hmm. walk up to a tiger and you're like, sup? Like, you're going to die. Tag is going to eat you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fun fact about tigers. I think I told you this on my podcast, but for your audience, like when I first had my first uh, Reiki healing, she told me that I had a tiger living in my belly. Oh my God. I remember you saying that. There you go. Have you done any Reiki recently? (laughs) I have not, but I feel like you need to do a Reiki sesh on me. We talked about that last time too. I know. When you're here in person, I well, actually in September, I'm getting my Reiki too and I can do distance. So maybe I will, yeah, practice on you later. Yeah, I'm happy to be a guinea pig always. Perfect. (laughs) Well, honestly, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation um, on our platform so that we could share you with our listeners. And thank you for being vulnerable vulnerable and sharing your story with surgery and all of that. I think these, these messages that you're sharing are so needed and we need people in this world that are really showing up and sharing their truth. So I thank you for that. Thank you. It's been so fun. We should do this again. We should. Real quick before we depart, tell everyone where they can find you if they want to connect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so basically everywhere uh, at Amanda Catherine Loy. That's Catherine with a K, like koala. Um, so that's my website.com. Um, and then also on Instagram. Um, and then if you want to listen to my podcast, it's called Live Your Fuck Yes Life. Their episode was bomb.com and super great. <laughs> so if you love them, you should come over and listen. Um, and then, yeah, um, basically everything is over there. Plus all my booby BFF stuff um, is linked in my Instagram bio as well. So you can find that there if you are part of that community. Perfect. Yay. Well, we'll see you in September. Yes. Yeah. I will totally be there. Yay. So excited. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you guys again for tuning into this conversation with Amanda. I hope that you feel a little bit more knowledgeable about the BRCA gene. I know that I honestly didn't know too much about it. And so I appreciated Amanda sharing her experience and spreading awareness um, along with everything she touched on as far as body image and her new book coming up, which we are really, really excited about and can't wait to get our hands on soon. If you're interested in joining us on September 21st at Empowered Voice, all three of us, a reminder that you can purchase the tickets at a few different places. There's our Instagram bio. Go right there. You can also go to empoweredvoiceconference.com or you can just head to Eventbrite and search for Empowered Voice in Columbus. All of the ways we will pop up and are really looking forward to connecting with you in the fall. Absolutely. All right. That's all we have for you now, but make sure to tune in next Monday with a new guest and some new content. Bye, everyone.